0: Hello freaks and welcome to Radical Research. snippet by florida gods atheist that one gets better every single listen that bears a similarity to russia's cygnus x1 and thanks to pavel sagan or sagan for the suggestion we like to think of carl sagan when we think of sagan or sagan so uh awesome surname we wish we had that one uh, but this guy's got a nice surname. His last name is Gin, That's mm. with a soft G, so I, you'd be like Rotten Cotton Gin. A uh, little tro- tribute and to Eli Whitney, but also, you know, Rotten Cotton.
1: A lot a lot of uh, firsts going to happen on this show tonight, I think. And um, the uh, mention of Eli Whitney uh, among them. <laughs>
0: yeah. However, I, the name that's probably going to come up the most is Rush. And we're not really into drinking games, and whether you drink or not, like, I think they're kind of stupid. I think, Hunter, you're refraining for the, t- for the time being, which I think is awesome. Just drink every time you hear the word rush in this episode. Very simple.
1: Jeff and I recommend uh, Troublette.
0: Yeah, something low alcohol. It's going to, because it's going to be a lot. We're going to talk about rush a lot. So Rotten Cotton, you ready, man? and ready. This episode began as a post by Radical Research listener Rob No, N-O-E, N-O-E. Uh, he made it in reply to like our, one of our regular Facebook playlist posts. And he said something about mostly just getting into listening to these isolated moments of songs by other bands that sound extremely similar to rush. And I'm like, okay, that's fucking genius. And, and uh, this guy's cool as fuck. May I give him $21 and 12 cents out of the uh, radical research kitty <laughs> <laughs> and pay him for the idea. He, he refused the money, but um, thought it'd be a great focus for an episode. So here we are. Can't wait to go on this with you, Hunter. Cause uh or mr. Jen we like we like some rush between us,
1: yeah, but yeah, but between us I'd say we like rush, okay
0: <laughs> anything quick you want to say about rush just in terms of uh, why this is hugely important and maybe our favorite show so far for ourselves
1: well, I mean, I think it illustrates the i well, I think once everyone listening hears the the playlist that we have assembled for this evening, um, it illustrates the the reach and the influence of Rush, which is pretty inescapable in our little universe.
0: Ours is obviously geared toward metal. We could have geared it toward Prague. I think we somewhat consciously and then somewhat unconsciously tried to stay away from some obvious Prague metal of the 90s. Um, Dream theaters here, because they have to be. That could be a whole show. The 15 times they ripped off, they admit it at times. Well, I mean,
1: they, they had to.
0: <laughs> but I feel this one could have gone even wider. I think we go, we're, we're going to go from what? I don't know, Winterhawk to fucking Cardiacs. But I think you could go wider with a band like Rush in terms of influence. You'd get in a new wave and you'd get into... You know,
1: math rock.
0: Math rock. I'm sure some jazz people appreciate them, although Rush was so tight that it's almost anathema to some jazz people. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, it also proves we have a really awesome listenership because we got so many requests. We wanted to make this a listener-heavy episode in terms of contributions because it was Rob No's idea, and we have so many fucking awesome listeners. Let's resume with the snippets. Uh, this is Manila Roads, Mark of the Beast. Uh, we picked this one. We will get to lots of more listener picks as well. This one brings to mind so uncannily caressive steel.
1: Let's necromance. <laughs> of the Beast off their 1981 unreleased album, Dreams of Eschaton, which was finally issued in 2002, bearing the title Mark of the Beast. Um, first of all, I think if you were looking for an example of the triumph of imagination over circumstance, you look no further than Mark Shelton and Manila Road. Hmm. Uh, uh, you know, a, a guy in a band built a universe out of basically nothing. It's it's like our own little heaven shore. And, yeah, uh,
0: you're right, the heaven shore of, of Kansas. Which the you, heaven shore which of it,
1: Kansas. Wichita, yeah, Kansas. As as, as, it, as it's commonly known. <laughs> right, right. Well, this is how
0: you get into conversations with people at airports. You know?
1: you just, <laughs> oh, yeah, naturally.
0: You drop that and, you know. <laughs> um, anyhow, yeah, you know, but you can't really say that about third album era Rush, Caress of Steel. No. But you can say that they were... Definitely already fighting upstream with the label. They were doing what the hell they wanted and what was in their heads and in their hearts. And you know, they pump out something like Caressive Steel in 2112. So it was made in a certain other kind of struggle or challenge, I suppose, you know, as Manila wrote. It just wasn't financial.
1: <laughs> and for, yeah, no, no, no. It, it, for me, Caressive Steel has always existed in sort of a mini vacuum. Oh, yeah. um, it, it is easy to find the connections between Fly By Night and 2112. If it, I mean, you don't, in fact, you don't have to look too deeply. But there are certain things about Caressive Steel, that murky, really, really obscure quality, the the melancholy. The, um,
0: It's an album that I listen to and everything's webbed. It's in web, right. it is. Yes, yeah. you know, I don't know. Yes. And that drapes around everything you've just said. Like it's, um, it is a magical album and it is a singular album. Transitional, yes. I love it more than a lot of people. I know you love it. Uh, but to I me, it, it also, it's just that one of those also that not only has songs and a band kind of finding itself at this point, they're already peaking. And they peak so many times in their career, which I think is what's one of the most fascinating things about them. Because Grace Under Pressure was also a peak.
1: Absolutely.
0: So Absolutely. Caress of Steel, amongst everything else we've said, it's like a really textural album and it has this, like you said, murky atmosphere. It's special because of that and because of the kind of medieval sort of music Rush is at, you know, playing at that moment. There and it's proto metal stuff. It's proto metal. You know, Manila Road, I think on Mark of the Beast, uh, to, to a greater degree than on the first two albums uh that predate it, the album Metal, the second album, uh is right around this time as well. But it, you know, it's the most metal even more so than the, the metal album, I think. But it's also more proggy. So, And, it, and you get a great kind of like Alex Lifeson-esque solo by Mark Shelton there. It's this spiky, spectral, but still passionate thing, right? It's mm-hmm. it's definitely early metal lead guitar playing. If, if I'm splitting hairs.
1: You know, and I, I think that's one of uh, the bones of contention with a lot of prog listeners um, with Rush, is that they never... Well, you know, up until the '80s, divested themselves completely of '70s hard rock and proto-metal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. and yeah, I mean, sure. and that's you know, and that's very, very evident in licensed guitar playing too.
0: But see, that's the rush that don't you have to love that rush? Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, like that's well, the best rush. You
2: know, I, I, well, I do.
0: '75, <laughs> I, I would say the stretch '75 to '84 is fucking magnificent, the most magnificent in, in music probably for me. I don't think you can get a better one you know
1: that's definitely i mean that's the essential rush for sure
0: and there's other stuff after that's good i mean absolutely
1: yeah but, yeah
0: but but they never
1: yeah they never get to those heights again
0: well let's move on to a band that like goes beyond caress of steel and this is a band called watchtower who have we ever played a snippet by watchtower in this show yet we have not we've talked about him a how, awful, how, awful how lot
1: i don't know how that's possible well
0: we've talked about them a ton Everybody I,
1: I yeah I um, I put my daughter in a Watchtower shirt and posted it to our Instagram page before we ever even played any of your music. That seems a little out of order, but...
0: Yeah, we'll have a talk after as, this show.
1: Such as the logic of the radical research. I think,
0: I think I think you're losing your mind, my friend. We'll have a talk after the show. <laughs> this was uh, Watchtower Fall of Reason off their Control and Resistance album from 89. Hey,
1: maybe that's what I'm having is a Fall of Reason.
0: I think so. This was uh, suggested by Rob. No, the original uh, poster of this uh, comment that got this all started. Uh, So Rob said that the fall of reason, and I would, we totally agree with him. uh, Just the midsection is this moment of just diving into rush where they would have these middle sections or solo sections where all three guys in rush were just playing at their peak together in unison. But each part was the the best part of that, of that part. You know what I'm saying?
1: (laughs) Right. Think of the free.
0: Dude, listen to the free will solo that's exactly yeah. what that is you know that's what's happening there and this is uh, i think rob is trying to say that the fall of reason maybe has this element i i we totally agree
1: yeah in some ways it, it goes well beyond rush in terms of <laughs> intensity and a, well, yeah well let, let's just play naturally it's yeah, watchtower yeah it's, yeah, it's watchtower <laughs>
2: the onset of war is the fall you okay.
1: Like to thank listener rob no well for providing the impetus for this show altogether, but um certainly for um suggesting the inclusion of uh fall of reason i just told jeff that when we're done recording tonight i'm gonna go listen to control and resistance
0: right um, and, and, I, and i encourage that and i told you that you know you have an awesome life and you've you've actually done this every time now because you've said this the last five six episodes there's always an album
1: yeah that
0: rotten cotton comes out of thinking this is, this is where I'm going tonight. I haven't, yeah. had, I haven't had enough of this.
1: No, I, I mean, I don't know how many years I've been listening to Control and Resistance. Still don't have enough.
0: <laughs> right. Rob, knows, spot on about uh, the rush middle there.
1: Absolutely. And, um, you know, I think early on in that passage, it actually sounds like all three rush players making an encore. Um, but, but really throughout the, uh, the passage itself, the base is the dominant rush influenced element Um, in tone um, in approach and attack all around. What say you, Jeff?
0: There's nothing I can add. You just, you just killed it. And once again, we agree. Let's not even joke. We're we're just never going to disagree. Unless I bring up later atrocity with, which I like 5% and you like negative 12%. So correct. Okay. So, so, I just want to say it kind of creates a link to Realm um, because the song we picked there is a song called Eminence from their first album, Endless War from 1988. Very cool, kind of, I don't know, techie, speedy, thrashy, yeah. pa- panicky kind of band. Um, I would say similar to Toxic, but a little more darker yeah. and, and King yeah. Diamond, you know what I mean?
1: <laughs> I love I love panicky. That's totally what Endless War is. <laughs>
0: right. Just check out Eminence. And I think you'll hear that the way that Doug Kaiser's bass brought up the bottom of the Watchtower, Steve Post of Realm does the same thing, I think, here uh, in Eminence, where the first time I heard it was 88. It was kind of novel to hear a band like this do something that was just so obviously Rush. I don't think Rush was that cool to do in public at that time, even in metal, because they were so synthed out by that time. That's a really good point. But that's another story.
1: That was Eminence by Realm, one of Wisconsin's two best bands, I would say. So no, three, th- three, three best bands.
0: Saw so am live twice.
1: Last Crack, Dekreudsen, Realm. Hmm. There's probably some other good bands in Wisconsin.
0: Yeah, I'm sure we can think of some.
1: Anyway, that's not what we're here to do tonight, folks. We're here tonight <laughs> to talk about metal bands liking and paying tribute to Rush.
0: So I don't think this one yeah. by Realm is that obvious, do you? Uh, I think no, it's a little right. more interpretive where you could see that this, this is one thread where early 70s metal rush led to, right? Right.
1: And you can also see this as an example of thrash and heavier metal kind of growing up and absorbing other influences too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And for me, the, the reason I said Steve Post's bass reminds me of Rush so much and did on first listen and still does. It's just got the Red Barchetta sort of, not Gallop, but just sort of ma- majestic role to it. And, mm-hmm. you know, The Fall of Reason by Watchtower had that same bass thing where you're, you instantly yep. think of some of the, well, he was doing the bass harmonics, you know, some of the stuff, you know, in Red Barchetta. So that thread, we are jumping around because this is the fun part of this. Now, this Thought Industry song, this is not the first time we played Thought Industry. We had an entire show on them. I forget which episode number because I've completely lost track. But check it out on RadicalResearch.org.
1: Curated by our friend, the estimable Jason Walton.
0: The estimable Jason Walton and um, sponsored by Guy Fieri. No, that's actually not true. That last part's not true. We
1: did. We took. We yeah. We took the uh, the sonic bus into Soundtown.
0: Big, big thought industry fan. That guy. He's just.
1: You know. <laughs> that, I mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, thought industry. So, um, yeah, this one just has a particularly um, Alex Lifeson guitar solo, similar to the way that Manila Road did, but in a totally different. Um, you know era for rush and this is from thought Industries' final album another one by rob no this is gonna be one of three we give him a lot because these are all these are all pretty great
1: I feel like I'm free basing music cocaine tonight. <laughs> I'm, I, like, it's it, like, we need to hurry up and get to the dream theater just so I can come down a little bit.
0: Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I recently alphabetized your CDs. I saw at least two dream theater albums in there.
1: Yeah. That's all you'll ever find.
0: Do you have the first one? Yeah. And the second one.
1: The, yeah. The first two are the only ones I love. <laughs> I keep awake for best. Oh, okay.
0: I thought I saw awake.
1: You did see Awake. I, I'm, I'm
0: glad you kept yes. that at least. Okay. Well, we'll talk because
1: about the space divest mostly.
0: We'll talk about them in a bit. We'll, but, what about it, thought, anyway, industry, anyway, thought industry? Thought
1: industry. Yeah, um. Yeah. One. One of my favorite albums of that decade. Um. Just a masterpiece on I think probably every conceivable level. But I, I, I think another thing that we're seeing here tonight, a theme, if you will, is or the, this
0: morning if you're listening in another time zone.
1: Right. We, we Yes, we, we discriminate not against time zones. So we, whatever time you want to listen to this is fine with us. Right. But it's the presence of a very assertive bass. And I don't often think about bass um, with thought industry, despite their having really great bass player. Well, um, he's
0: central to the band, obviously. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. But I, when I think thought industry, I don't necessarily think about the bass. Um, sure. But but here, I mean, it, it's it's very evident. But also, I think um, more to the point, we get that spectral, whammy bar, and guitar poetry that um, that he really integrated most strongly um, in the '80s. Um, well, you,
0: yeah, exactly. And and I really hate that I can't name the guy who played that on Thought Industry because at that time they were sort of this, um, yeah, lineup that was brent and other guys you know and i don't mean yeah. that in any disparaging way but they they just weren't the characters that had formed the band and kind of evolved it to where it was but it's an incredible album and i think we say enough That's, on on our sh- episode about it it's our favorite thought industry album
1: i mean you could also see it as kind of like a brent overland solo album in some ways
0: i think um, so but again you know we have to give credit ben. to the guitarist um,
1: it is uh, jeff borkowski
0: or is it mike roche there's a there's two guitars. Oh, I don't there. know. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, um, it's either Mike, Mike wrote, we just consulted the Oracle, metalarchives.com. Metal-Archives.com, in case you haven't heard of it. Uh, Mike Roche on guitars or Jeff Borkowski on guitars. Let's just say Jeff because he also plays keyboards and cello. Uh, and he's
1: got uh, a like a classic Midwestern name too.
0: <laughs> there you go. And they live close to Rush. But he, the thing I wanted to say about that solo, which is so Alex Lifeson, and I mean that with credit to the thought industry guitarist, it's so Lifeson in the way that Manila Rhodes' uh, Mark of the Beast was, but in such a different era, like I said before we listened. But the thing about that is, at that time in the 80s, in, let's say, Signals' Grace Under Pressure, they were getting more rhythmic and getting more synth, obviously, and definitely not as guitar-oriented. They quit that pretty completely after moving pictures in terms of it being a central element, I think.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think, I think Lifeson was looking for these avenues in which he could like place a solo that would stand out because he had such weird, a weirder betting, I think. You know, you, you really hear this on like Hold Your Fire, where he's just like searching for like something to compliment.
1: Even, well, even more so on Hold Your Fire. Yeah, but, but, but it, yeah. It,
0: it, he develops this style, I think, by, by does, yeah. Rush leaning this way. And it's really special because then you get Lifeson growing even more. It's kind of like the Tony Iommi stuff from like the mid-80s. Right. It's just so like, you know, wow. Like he even got better, you know. <laughs> and, I, and I think oh, Lifeson, I, Lifeson did that a lot for a long, long time.
1: No, I think Lifeson actually um, hit his peak as a lead player around grace um, under pressure.
0: Agreed. Agreed. So, uh, and I love a lot of the stuff on Hold Your Fire. Oh, yes. Yeah, so again. do I. Just, some of the solos on that are just insane. That's probably all we need to say about that. But um, what a wonderful thing to hear in the middle of an album that's very dense. And I hadn't, I hadn't actually made that connection before. So,
1: No, have neither have I. No, no, no.
0: Yeah, very interesting. I mean, really? So let's move on to this one. This is... Um, this is cardiacs now this is a band that have been recommended to us by all kinds of different people john cobbett jason walton i think Mm -hmm. um dan dan mongrain ben simpkins and definitely uh you know we don't know him but shane embury wears the shirt so i'm like you know five very cool people and i
1: and i think that um that Ben Adler is a, a Cardiacs fan. Pro- oh, yes, and probably, was, yeah. So Cardiacs,
0: I think that's a fan you and I are both going to be exploring in our old age. We'll, <laughs> be, we'll be at the, the the old folks' home.
1: Looking forward to it. And yeah. we might, maybe when we we're recovering from a cardiac incident. Um, there you go.
0: There hopefully
1: you go. our life will be bereft. But Ben, oh, ben right.
0: Simpkins, of all people, uh, suggested this one. And he was kind enough to send me an MP3 because I don't own this and I couldn't find an MP3. Now, Ben Simpkins you guys have done some things
1: i i, I know the name
0: <laughs> no they you, you guys have made great, great music together as the early canvas solera so uh,
1: yeah ben is one of my dearest friends and he is a fucking peach. musician
0: he's yeah, a peach. Just not a, just because he's, he's a, from georgia
1: he's not he's not from georgia he's actually from new jersey
0: okay well he's still a peach yeah.
1: but yeah okay he is yeah. he's, he's a jersey guy. peach
0: <laughs> no i love the guy Cardiacs, leaf scrapings we'll talk I think there's going to be a race between you and me tomorrow morning to see who's going to snap up the cheapest and best cardiac CDs on discogs.
1: I get up pretty early.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's great, man. That's great. I, I, I understand. I've tried them a few times and just was left a little cold, but also kind of, Hmm, you know, interesting. Kind of like that band cheer accident from Chicago. I don't know if you've ever tried them out.
1: I I have. And I actually um, own a couple of cheer accident records. Oh, Okay. Um, Okay. But they're like sort of like, uh, I saw them um, live um, and thought they were fantastic. Okay. Uh, but their, their discography is, I mean, so, so forbidding. Right. right. Um, and the same, I guess the same thing with Cardiacs. Like for a long time, I didn't really know where to start. But I, I mean, general consensus is Sing to God is a pretty good place to start.
0: I wanted to go with what we just heard simply because again, it's new. It impressed the fuck out of me. And it was not, it was right for this show, which I'll, we'll talk about that of course in a second, but it's from this thing called special garage concerts and it's music from their early days. Basically. It's like live music from the eighties. It's not, you know, it's not contemporary uh, in 2005. Um, But thanks Ben Simpkins. Cause yeah. How much does that sound like all the climactic moments in natural science (laughs) smushed together in like a minute and a half?
1: Not fair. (laughs) <laughs> not fair yeah it's amazing
0: thanks ben simpkins he said it sounds like the permanent waves era and he's dead on what would you if you can put it into words and i think rush is one of these bands that's very difficult forbidding to talk about hard hard to really put the experience into words but like what does permanent waves evoke for you if you just had a few sentences for it is that possible
1: elegance evolution silver silver yeah. It, it always, it sounds like, it sounds like stardust to me. It sounds like a, it sounds like a comet.
0: They're very clean at that point, but they're also like a comet, pretty deadly. You know what I'm saying? Yes. They real and, and Terry Brown deserves mention because well, he and Paul Northfield, those two guys deserve a lot of credit as much as the you know rush in a way for making these albums so memorable, texturally, production wise, sonically pleasing
1: yeah i mean it's hard for me to think i mean even by contemporary standards two albums that sound better than permanent waves and moving pictures in the in the the most objective of terms i don't think i've ever heard two records sound any better than those
0: yeah for sure and the Cardiacs thing is interesting because it's really raw it's super raw it's early it's live it's abrasive Um, and i love hearing that aspect of it so Really pleasant uh, discovery there. That's awesome. So the moment you've waited for, man, dream theater, mm. the looking glass. There's a lot to talk about here, obviously. We'll, uh, we'll just listen and, and fight about it in a second. <laughs> comes from the self-titled album of 2013, Emmanuel Mason or Emmanuel Mason, or however Emmanuel wants us to say it, and Roy Avon, amongst others, contributed that song to us. Like you got you have to play the looking glass by Dream Theater. And you can understand why. It's it's a blatant tribute to limelight. I think there are moments of originality or at least dream theaterality on a lot of that. But it's <laughs> so it's so limelight. But the good the thing about it is not only is it convincingly so, but I think it's um, they admitted that. Your thoughts, Kyle?
1: Well, I mean, they would have to. I mean, there's one moment in there that I think is limelight. You know, it almost sounds like one of their their live cover medleys. um, Right. right. They mix things up. But, um, yeah, I mean, it sounds to me like a loving tribute to uh, one of their biggest influences. Um, I, I will have to say that I have mostly hated James Labrie since 1994. Personally? Did, uh, no. Yeah. yeah that son of a bitch. He, oh, he's always looking at me, man. <laughs> but I, I have to say he sounded inoffensive on, on that little clip we just heard.
0: I think he works on that. I think he's good yeah. on some later dream theater well, and some he's not. He's on one of their best albums.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, that's probably my favorite dream theater record. And I think he's like super, super good on it. Um, I think he I, I don't I don't know if he wrote those melodies on images and words, but if he did, then the guy can the guy can write.
0: Yeah. And, and it, I think it, he
1: sounds very comfortable in in that context.
0: I like how they haven't hidden some of their influences, you know, Metallica, they'll play whole albums and just sure. have fun with it. And and I think that's a great I like I've always liked that spirit about dream theaters like they're still fans um, yeah. and, and they'll, they'll talk to you about music other music that they're really enthusiastic about. And I, you know, obviously uh, Rush is one of the hugest for them. And there are many other instances, I think through their catalog and their live career of, of them doing tribute to Rush, whether it was veiled or obvious or otherwise. Sure. So, so here's something that we've talked about too. Seizures even has come up not quite as often as dream theater, but certainly in, in a similar context. Usually there's it's this unescapably <laughs> obvious part in tangerine windows of solace six disintegration of lasting hope. Yeah.
1: You and, I, and you and I have been making fun of this album, the singer and this song title as yes. long as we've known each
0: other. This is true. This is true. Franz okay. Herde. Um, But but and we'll talk about him in a second. Thankfully, we don't have to listen to too much. But there's a moment in this song that is just so obviously Cygnus X1 part two, Hemispheres, right? The, the yes. first side of Hemispheres. It's inescapable. Also, I would say pretty obvious. And, you know, they weren't afraid to show influences on their sleeve either, such as how much they sounded like Watchtower on their first album.
1: Oh, I mean, it's just more, it's more than just sounding like, I mean, Life, life Cycle. I mean, anyway, that's, a, that's another show.
0: almost laughably obvious that angularity and oh, dude. the accents and all of those ingredients of, of that one not much to say about it honestly it says all it can say about it. its love for hemispheres particularly it's like the the band's collective favorite song by rush and they're <laughs> you, can, you know well,
1: they, if, if that's your like if that's their favorite song by rush then Steps is sort of a tribute to the unwieldiness of that. I mean, I love hemispheres. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah. And I, lo- I love parts of Cygnus X1 Part 2 deeply, yep. but it's not their most successful long-form composition.
0: No, I've never thought so, although, you know, it's, it's just the parts are better than the sum, maybe.
1: Yeah. Because the yeah, parts they, are great. Yeah. It just doesn't all go together.
0: It never 100% coheres. It gets pretty close, though.
1: If you are looking for thrash vocals. That, <laughs> Dude, I was that, just going to say that. <laughs> damn, if if Sean Killian isn't weird and potentially grating enough for you, then yeah. boy, do we have the record for
0: <laughs> Franz Herda. Franz Herda, people. Now, he was on the first album. He did a decent techie-ish whale. You know, as was panicky and, and I, fucked up. I, I've really,
1: over the years, kind of come to love well loves the wrong word um, it's an it's an endearing vocal performance why don't we say
0: Are you talking about the first season oh, the first
1: album oh there's okay. nothing endearing about his performance on yeah this. what
0: happens on steps it's just uh it he he flies out of control and, and it's and it's also an attempt at moodier, more emotional uh delivery and it's just so fucking thinly thinly german because german stuff is pretty hulky or something it's not it's never this fey kind of like what is that i mean i guess it's in the tradition of bad german prog vocals because there's certainly a lot of those you know
1: there are but like i think this is just an instance of a band outgrowing a singer very (laughs) very very quickly well look what happened
0: i mean this was yeah final album with seizures even anyway you know i we cut it off just as he's coming in just to save you the the hilarity of it um it's pretty bad (laughs) i haven't known this album for a while i'm I'm glad i have this little snippet but um yeah you have more seizures even albums than i I, yeah this is where we disagree because i like them on paper very much i just can't connect somehow to most of their stuff
1: i could well and if if you're interested in a band sort of taking on the more subdued era of early eighties rush. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, songs like, uh, like different strings. Um, The next siege is even record.
0: Doesn't sense of change do the different strings thing as, as a kind of a map for itself.
1: It sort of expands that mood and yeah, that tack over the course of an entire record, but it's, it's not an overlong record and I think it's really well done. And I think the writing is is very solid and it's produced beautifully.
0: Yeah, it has a fantastic reputation. I used to own it. I just don't anymore. I might regret that someday. Are they metal anymore? I think by Steps, they were already even stepping out. quite Because Steps is quite mellow
1: yeah uh, no sense of change has almost no metal whatsoever
0: right okay and okay.
1: then sophisticated and uneven are heavier but i don't think that you could call them metal justified no, Yeah, they,
0: they they fit in 90s kind of invented yeah. hard rock you know right. sophisticated hard rock let's talk about loudness this might be the first japanese band we've ever played and, and if it is what no it's not happy family
2: mm, mm-hmm.
0: and yep. probably probably something else but anyway loudness butterfly this is from the fourth album, and Best of the First Four, I think. Disillusion,
1: probably yeah, probably. I,
0: I just think the vocals are easier to take. I like the vocals fine on the first three, but they are incredibly eccentric <laughs> Japanese, <laughs> Japan early Japanese metal. So it's a little, it's a little tough going in spots. But the the ideas <laughs> and, the, and the delivery are so, I don't know, believable. But yeah, he's good. He's good on Disillusion. And uh, we're going to listen to a song called Butterfly. This was sent in by Chris Dalton, fellow North Carolinian of mine. See him at Voivod shows every time Voivod plays in the area. So that's all I need, you need to know about Chris to know these cool shit. Yep. This is Loudness, Butterfly.
1: You know, I never thought about, um, you know, we were talking about the sort of the peculiarity and the um, the acquired taste of Nihara's vocals. I never really thought about him having that, that pinched nasal quality that you get like with the more hard rock era, Getty, until just now.
0: Uh, I don't know how that's
1: escaped me, but... Yeah, I, I immediately heard a Getty influence in his vocals.
0: Definitely, I, I've heard that before. To me, it's always been secondary, although very important. You, you, it's a great point, and it's and it's and it's there. It's simply there. Uh, but you know, Akira Takasaki plays like Lifeson, and, and again, he's a soloist who Lifeson is probably one of his top three, and always will be. To the to the and, group, you can just hear it.
1: And Takasaki is a amazing guitarist in his own right.
0: Absolutely. Uh, And then, you know, the the thing about this band, they had the same Rush quality where every guy was top-notch. I mean, Mm -hmm. Masayoshi Yamashita and Munitaka Higuchi. So they have this dynamite rhythm section that are just always top-notch with Akira and uh, Minoru. So yeah, fucking loudness. (laughs) Your loudness, your Rush. (laughs) (laughs) You're killing me. You were going to say no
1: no, you uh yeah you made a great point while we were playing that snippet though that break it's just pure 2112 and like you said almost getting into like farewell to king's leading into
0: it it just captures this very particular moment in russia's evolution i think Mm -hmm. Um, and i you know you hear this in other loudness songs and albums before this it's once they got major label they got even better i think i think those next two albums are the best along with disillusion, yeah. but their first three have this raw earlier rush sound to them.
1: Yeah. That's yeah.
0: That are very, but now, very detectable. It's all over the place.
1: And on the uh, next uh, episode of radical research, we'll be getting into their great 1994 and 97 records, heavy metal hippies and ghetto machines.
0: <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, I'll call on Zoller for some expertise and snippets on that. I think he's got them.
1: <laughs> I, I would be disappointed otherwise.
0: Yeah. So we've said enough on Loudness. Let's go to Winterhawk. So Winterhawk Revival. This is a band that you and I discovered maybe 15 years ago with the reissue of the album on, was it Monster Underground? It was, on,
1: it was on It was on Monster.
0: Yeah. Also Manila Road, Mark of the Beast supporters. The guy that owns that, by the way, Judas Priest Rock-a-Roll is his favorite Judas Priest, which makes me like a lifelong friend of his. I'll do anything for him. I've never met him. I don't know the guy, but... Um, That's
1: not surprising considering the kind of stuff that he hawks like. exactly exactly
0: and speaking of hawks um winter, winter year, hawks winter hawk revival just check this out this is uh, us going back into the caress of steel maybe even fly by night arrow
1: Especially the back half of what we just heard, um, you get that kind of kinetic jam, hard rock vibe from. I think you said "Fly By Night" before we even played. But oh yeah! Uh, definitely, like it's you know it's got the that sort of emergent ambition um, of "Fly By Night" and Caressive Steel." Yep. Um, and and also you know it, that album too. Um, and, and like you said, you and I are both big fans of that record. It's got some of the same sort of pensiveness and melancholy that characterized Caress of Steel.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. What, what an album.
1: And yeah, um, yeah and uh, it should be noted that um, uh, original vinyl copies of that record, pretty rare. Um, and, and Fetch... Uh, They'll
0: set you back a few hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> At least. Yeah. At le- that,
1: and, and that's when we were pricing it back, you know, when, when this happened. Um, I don't don't even know what the fair market value is now, but one of our, our, another of our dear friends, Tim Hammond, um, who you've heard mentioned on this show many times before, I'm sure, um, was at a flea market in the outskirts of Savannah, Keller's Flea Market, in this like hinterland. It's not quite Savannah. It's not quite Effingham County. It's a place where you could go get like, like a mixed breed Shih Tzu for $10. Um well Tim Tim just looks into a copy of this, an original vinyl for ten dollars also. He he opted not to get the puppy. He got the hawk.
0: <laughs> you know what's interesting? I'm looking on discogs. I think it's gone down in price. There's one on for sale right now for 375. It's sold for the highest 200 on there in their history. So it's Tim's highly collectible be- album, but I, I wonder if the I, I bet you a lot of those don't exist that are worth shit in terms of the, the condition. You know,
1: I, I was, yeah, yeah, no, you, you took the words out of my mouth. And Tim's head. is in nice shape, right? It is. It's in very good shape. All right. Well,
0: anyway, great, fine, fantastic. We're all, we're, we're going to be jealous uh, of, the, of that forever. For life. Yeah. And I think the vocals there on Winterhawk, you know, are obviously that high, shrill Getty Lee of, of the early days that people either love or hate. And there's, there's a little bit of that coming through. And um, just that kind of watery, glassy stuff that was in the back, you know, behind the vocals there uh, also evokes to me fly by night we could even look at a couple songs on the first album rush that are um just a little more uh, i know i don't even want to say esoteric but kind of getting there into this cosmic kind of world that they would start going to fly by night caress 2112 right yeah winterhawk 1982 kind of one and only album unless they've done something some kind of reunion thing um <laughs> but uh speaking of short-lived bands toxic
1: i mean they got back together don't mention that well okay I mean, unless
0: you feel strongly about it, I I I I don't. Oh, yeah, no. Have you listened to it? it?
1: No. Okay. Well, I enough not to listen to
2: it.
0: Understand? No, I I I understand. I do that a lot. Yeah.
1: And I hold the the first two records um, from the original run in very very high esteem, especially um, their second record, 1989's. Think this, and we're about to play a little snippet from a song called technical arrogance, which uh, sort of explains
0: itself. Yeah. Hide the dogs. There's some like dog whistly production in this thing. (laughs) really plasticky sound um i've always thought that i think this uh but i think it of course adds to the really weird approach the things they're doing at its foundation are very weird
1: i mean everything about it sort of relies on that artificial quality
0: for sure i want to thank gustav samuelson for the suggestion of the toxic song and the winterhawk song and I'm, i'm looking at that going okay who suggests something like toxic and winterhawk in the same fell swoop well, apparently Gustav Samuelson does, and uh, we we love our listeners. I don't want to, like, overdo it. You know, I don't want to marry. No, no. You, I don't you love you like. the, eno- enough to marry you all, but, um, you know, you're, you're cool as fuck.
1: I, I mean, I've made bad decisions marrying people that I know well, so I'm definitely <laughs> not going to go there.
0: You just so went there. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, no, you, you were saying earlier um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, this is confirmed that we're not alone in the world. Gustav Samuelson. You were you were one of us, sir.
0: For sure. And Dan Suano is a friend of this show. At least we would like to think we were friends with him. He probably hates us. Um, I'd like to think that. Don Swanya. He uh, he's going to be featured in these next two. This first one is in Counterparts. <laughs> Uh, an instrumental from his Moon Tower album from 1998. We have to talk about the song title because Rush did have an album called Counterparts, and uh, this is in Counterparts. You'll definitely hear the Rush love on this one. Uh, the third and final suggestion by Rob. No, by the way, and the next one is Witherscape, a Don Swanya project, one of his many, many. This is from an album called The Inheritance. Came out in 2013. It's a song called Astrid Falls. Uh, this was recommended as a winner. Uh, by David Lazar Gaelic. A little shorter of a snippet, but it absolutely makes the point. Don Swanya's love for Rush.
1: Uh, two snippets from the very prolific Don Svanya, Dan Suano. We probably still don't know how to pronounce your name properly, but we love <laughs> you and, and celebrate.
0: I desire I.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, I, so I, I'll go ahead and say that up until tonight, um, I was unfamiliar with uh, the Witherscape record. And Astrid Valls. Um, though I could clearly hear an awful lot of, of Rush in that, but um I am intimately familiar with Moon Tower. Um, mm-hmm. love it to death. Love the fact that the unifying element on that album is one single synth sound that he somehow continues to make interesting over the course of an entire record.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, not, I not mean, a lot of people, the- yeah. It, it was a bit novel when it came out in that like, Oh, this is a synth heavy death metal record, you know? Okay. Yeah. Bye. I don't even
1: think about it as a death metal record. No,
0: no. I, know, his, his voice qualifies it and you know, it's yeah. not his best harsh vocal performance at all. I don't even know if that was his main strength, but he, he wore a yeah. lot of hats and he was great at everything. Um, sure. <laughs> pretty much. But yeah, just blatant rush in both of those. I love yeah. all the synth stuff. Obviously he's really into uh moving pictures era rush permanent waves i understand a few people out there like that
1: yep there's that one picture from the permanent wave session you know exactly what i'm talking about too i know you do the black and white picture
0: sorry the aerial picture the aerial picture where they're in the rehearsal space and you see all the gear yeah you know i've had a lot of great moments and times in my life i have nothing to regret but i wish i could be one of those guys then because that had to feel amazing like (laughs) sounding better than you ever will with these two guys that you have, you're have, you on this journey with, with all that fucking awesome sounding equipment. I mean.
1: Yeah, no, their their life was better at that moment than anybody else's life will probably ever be. Because not
0: only are they listening to the best Rush of all time, really, in that era, but they are playing it, too. They are yeah. Rush. That's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. So listener Luke Manning dropped Perennial Quest by Death from their symbolic record of 1995. Great, great album. Love uh, this album. He mentioned the riff at 244 being very natural science.
2: I will take it raw and be on my way.
0: Yeah, thoughts? Let's go back to the radish.
1: That's a really cool call. We listened to a lot of things tonight that have been blatant tributes to, to Rush or quotations in, in some instances. I mean, I think this is more of an inspirational moment.
0: Yeah. I think I recall Luke saying something about he thought that Hoagland, Gene Hoagland was Neil Pearty all over this album. How would you, uh, mm. you know, being a student of death and drums and Gene Hoagland, uh, what do you say about that?
1: This is my favorite Hoagland death record uh, of the of the two. Um, pro- th- this is probably my favorite Hoagland record, period.
0: Is it Peartish, Neil Peart?
1: Oh, absolutely. Drum wise? Um, yeah, it's a lot of other things too. Like he he incorporates a lot of really cool like Ansley Dunbar kind of linear ideas, and you know like uh, he he really stretches out on this, and to the the production, you know Jim Morris just
0: <laughs> oh yeah, uh,
1: I mean like <laughs> Scott Burns and Jim Morris, man, it's it's night and day.
0: It's one of the stronger sounding death records. It's
1: incredible. It really is. And two, I mean, the music's a little more open. I mean, certainly compared to individual thought patterns.
0: Yeah, um, I, well, I like it more because of that. It's it's more memorable.
1: It is. It absolutely is.
0: <clears throat> I'm losing my voice, kind of like um, Chuck on Sound of Perseverance. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry. No, I like that record. Um, <clears throat> Larry loses the limbo location. Okay. Um, yeah, and the way that you said that, that was an inspiration rather than kind of a more blatant or just, loving tribute in uh, out in the open naked i think the next and final selection is the same thing Uh, and i picked this one it just occurred to me as i was putting together all these other snippets like this song by riot is very rush it does a similar thing as rush now it's a cover of an al demiola song called racing with the devil on a spanish highway which came out on a demiola album from 77 78
1: thereabouts i was thinking 76 but yeah it might have been about yeah, yeah yeah
0: and this is on riot's 1990 album the privilege of power so it's instrumental it's riot doing something a little more progressive than what they're known for but they always had it in them and they would they would bust it out from time to time they have a jarzombek on drums so we get two Jarzombeks yeah. in this rush tribute surprise surprise
1: no they've got the firepower to to pull off rush for sure yeah
0: and let's check it out and and after we do i I do want to mention a few other suggestions that we're not going to end up playing we may have a part two of this thing because this has been a lot of fun Yeah, Riot nails it there. It's sort of their La Via Estrangiato. Yeah. And it's got movements, and we, we're only listening to a snippet. It's a long song, and it's wonderful. The thing that I thought about with this one is that, you know, Al album is a jazz rock album. It's got fire to it. It's, uh, it's elemental. It's a bit uh, esoteric at times, a bit light, a bit heavy. Riot takes that and sort of plays it as if Rush, I don't know, Circus 77 maybe or even 78 was, yeah. play, was playing that song, you know? So it's kind of this very obvious sort of mutation of Rush's two main influences, which were the early hard rock, the proto metal, which they became uh, the prog rock, which they loved and, and became, and the fusion of that, you know, and, and I think racing with the devil has that and uh, it's by riot of all bands, but I guess that's down to lineup and, partly. And,
1: <laughs> and Yeah. And, and riot covering a song that's got, you know, Anthony Jackson and Mingo Lewis and John Homer. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, it's like, right. Yeah. Right. So I everything, mean. everything in the world is right with that cover.
0: Oh, yes. It, it, you're exactly right. Top notch. Wanted to mention, um, a few other listeners who gave us some great suggestions and then there were others beyond that, but we just don't have time, but I think we would like to do a second installment of this. Cause it's, it's a lot of fun and it really gets a spotlight, not only onto Rush, but a lot of other great bands too. Wayne Stokely suggested Haken's 1985. Uh, Isaac Emery suggested, refuse, destroy the man. I listened to that one. I thought it was uh, maybe a rhythmic coincidence, but Isaac said um, there's some YYZ in there. Zoran Zamargia. Uh, Mastodon's The Czar, John Lyon, Warlord's Penny for a Poor Man. Pretty cool. cool. Um, yeah, cool, cool. David Lazar Gaelic, uh, Sacral Rages the Glass. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. Uh, Watchtowers made in Kiev. They're going to come up a lot. Uh, that was by our friend Pavel Sagan, uh, Carl Sagan's godson, <laughs> we hope. Uh, Metallica's Creeping Death intro versus the first riff of Tom Sawyer. That was also Pavel who suggested that one. So um, there's so much. Yeah. Thanks for listening, folks. Please visit us at RadicalResearch.org where you can listen to all the episodes, visit the store, see our playlist posts for the past couple of years. They're all there. Uh, and read our blog entries. Um, please like our Facebook page. Please join us next time for episode 59, which will be an excursion into this truly bizarre world of oxyplagates. Now, uh, that band was the main architect of Grotesque and At the Gates, Alf Svensson. How do we pronounce oxyplagates?
1: I've always said Oxyplegates.
0: It's really awkward.
1: I, I I don't I don't know.
0: But wouldn't that be appropriate?
1: Yeah, uh, well, if any of our listeners have never heard the music of Oxyplegates or Oxyplegates or Oxyplegates, then yeah. What's yeah. what about
0: Oxiplegats? Oh, I like that.
1: I'm a big fan of four syllable words with the um, emphasis on the second
0: syllable. <laughs> Me too, man. Yeah. <laughs> is there, is there a name for people like us?
1: <laughs> um,
0: duo, duo, syllabos. Duo yeah. syllabos. <laughs> okay. So, but it's at the gates related. So we'll just say oxyplagates. Um, we'll be back with that in two or three weeks. Can't wait. That's going to be weird <laughs> as hell. We love our listeners almost as much as we love rush, but. I mean really let's be honest not even close yeah. we love Rush so much more than anything in this world my
2: tribesmen that drives the smoke to the sky where the shaman summon the spirits of ancestors dead and gone here are called spirits